Hello again, and welcome to Reading Together as we are reading The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. I guess I should start this off with an apologies for um, the delay in this um, in this discussion of chapter two uh, is coming out Friday instead of Wednesday um, as it usually as it usually is. Um, so my voice is thankfully a lot better now. Um, and able to record much better um, and, and get this out at the end of the week um, rather than not at all. And so, chapter two. So, last week, if you remember, in chapter one, uh, John Owen gave to us a, um, an overview of the, of the core verse um, upon which he is basing this entire book upon, right? And that's Romans 8, 13. And um, I'll read the whole verse again, uh, again from the ESV. Uh, but really, he, he he's, he's rooted it in the second half of the verse, which says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But, here's the portion that this book is based on, if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And of course, that put to death is what we mean by mortifying, right? And the, the deeds of the body are or the outward expressions of the indwelling sin, as we talked about last week. And so now in chapter 2, Owen addresses the first of three main principles uh, that he is going to present in this book about our call to mortify our sin. And uh, the next two principles um, are going to be the subjects of chapters 3 and chapters and, and 4. And so this first principle is, that even the very best of believers must still mortify the indwelling power of sin. And we must do so each and every day of our lives, right? Owen oh, then, he goes on in this chapter to make what has become the most popular statement of the book, which is, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. And isn't that, isn't that a great line? Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. It really captures uh, the, 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 the heart of this book and what is the core of what Owen is driving at, right? Um, this, is a, this is a matter of urgency, right? This is a matter of life or death. If we do not kill sin, it will kill us, right? Something must be killed. Um, and so let us be the ones that do the killing. And and the whole point of this chapter is no Christian is exempt from this duty. No Christian gets to bypass the daily mortification of sin. And now he spends the most of this chapter, the bulk of this chapter, um, discussing six reasons why mortification of sin is necessary. And so let's go through those six reasons really quick, and then we'll get to um, how he kind of concludes this chapter. So first, he notes that we will always have indwelling sin in us for as long as we are in this world. And so he goes on to briefly uh, address the dangers of what many would call today perfectionism, which is the belief that perfect obedience can be achieved in this life. And so now he gives us two examples of how this perfectionism can play out, but in reality, they're the, they're the same thing, right? He says there's those who believe themselves to have obeyed God's law perfectly, right? Which is probably what we typically think of as perfectionism. Or 
those who simply bend God's laws into conformity to their own hearts. And which, I mean, in reality, um, if we if we truly think, truly believe that we have obeyed God's laws perfectly, um, at the end of the day, we must have bent God's law into conformity with our hearts in order to think that 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 we could have ever lived up to that perfect, flawless standard that God has set for us, right? And yet, Owen soundly shows through Scripture that, and this is quoting him on page 29, we have a body of death, that's Romans 7.24 that he's referencing, from whence we are not delivered but by the death of our bodies, referencing Philippians 3.21. So, we won't be free from our body of death until the, until the death of our bodies, until our bodies die. Since sin is therefore our daily reality, mortification must be as well. And he goes on to say, uh, the second reason, he warns that sin does not merely lie in us, right? So sin is constantly in us, but it doesn't just, it doesn't just, 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 it's not just residing in us, but instead it labors to act. And so I love this quote that he gives on page 29 when he says, when sin lets us alone, when it leaves us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin is never less than quiet when it seems to be most quiet, and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still, so ought our contrivances against it be vigorous at all times in all conditions, even when there is least suspicion. So in other words, sin is always at work to bring about our death, and so we must always be at work to put it to death, right? Sin never ceases, and therefore we must never cease. Of course, until the Lord puts an end to our conflict with sin by either returning, which we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, or he calls us home to himself and our battle is won. The third reason that he gives for, uh, for, for why we must, even the best of Christians, must daily mortify sin is if sin is left unmortified, it will always, quote, bring forth great, cursed, scandalous, soul-destroying sins. And he goes on to say, sin always aims at the utmost. Every time it rises up to tempt or entice might it have its own course, it would go out to the utmost sin of that kind, end quote. And that's from page 31. So this point that Owen's making, that sin always reaches for the utmost, it always goes as far as it possibly can, gnaws away at the notion of little sins. Like Lot with the town of Zoar. And if you remember that story, um, Lot was getting rescued by the angels, pulled out of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, and they literally had to drag him out of the city um, because they were because they were told that they weren't uh, that they weren't uh, allowed to destroy the city until Lot was safely beyond the bounds of the city. And he points to another little town in the valley, um, uh, this this little town called Zoar, and asks if he can be permitted to go into the town of Zoar. He doesn't want to leave the valley, right? And he has he has this 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 little question of it's of, of it's a little town right? There's nothing to it. It's a, it's a little town. Is it not a little one? And like Lot with the town of Zoar, a lot of times we look at our pet sins, the sins that we keep around, that we think that we have on a leash, that we think are safely under our control, and we say 
is it not a little one? There's nothing. There's no harm to keeping this little sin around. But the reality is, however, that there are no little sins. Sin's wage is death, and it ceases at nothing less. If we don't kill sin, it'll kill us, right? As Owen said at the beginning. And so let us duly note what Owen says on page 32. There is not the best saint in the world, but if he should give over this duty, would fall into as many cursed sins as ever any did of his kind. In other words, even the best sin, even the best saint in the world, if he, if he stopped mortifying sin, he would fall into the worst of sins, right? Fourth, fourth reason why we must always mortify our sin, why we must make this a daily duty, is we have been given both the spirit and the new in our new nature, quote, to oppose sin and lust, end quote. And Owen, from this point, he, he, he draws it from Galatians 5.17 as his support, which says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And indeed, because the spirit and the flesh are against each other, they're constantly in conflict with one another, the spirit's indwelling is our greatest weapon against our indwelling sin. And we would be the greatest fools Bind the Spirit's natural work of empowering us to mortify our sin, which is the point that Owen makes on page 33. And furthermore, Owen ends this point by declaring this, quote, Not to be daily mortifying sin is to sin against the goodness, kindness, wisdom, grace, and love of God, who hath furnished us with a principle of doing it, end quote. So in other words, because the holy because god has given us the greatest treasure of his holy spirit to dwell within us if we refuse if we neglect mortifying sin we have added the sin of failing to to mortify sin on top of the sins that we are currently committing the sins that we are already refusing to mortify right and we're doing so against the very attributes of God, the goodness, the kindness, the wisdom, the grace, the love of God, which has given us the Holy Spirit in the first place. The fifth reason, he says, it is the neglect, the neglect of mortification causes grace to wither, lust to flourish, and our hearts to deteriorate. And he offers a rhetorical question that is, Sadly, I think only too relatable, right? When, when believers, you know, in other words, when, when believers fail to mortify sin, it leads to apostasy. They fall away from the faith, right? And he adds this, 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 this really sad question. He says, "See we not those whom we knew a humble, melting, broken-hearted, uh, broken-hearted Christians?" tender and fearful to offend, zealous for God and all his ways, his Sabbaths and ordinances grown through a neglect of watching unto this duty, earthly, carnal, cold, wrathful, complying with the men of the world and the things of the, of the world to the scandal of religion and the fearful temptation of them that know them. 
In other words, haven't we all seen people who seemed to be doing well, who seemed to be walking in grace, who seemed to be zealous after God in all his ways, and yet, because they failed to kill the sin within them, because they failed to put their sin to the death, they're now walking after the ways of the world. They're now walking after the course of their sin. Their flesh has triumphed over over any work that the Spirit has done within them, right? In fact, these people may be the people that we would point to of, 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 uh, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 6 as those who have tasted of the Spirit, right? Who have and who have, who, have, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, who have been a part of the Christian community, who seem to have been a part of the Christian community, and, and yet have fallen away. And so uh, the, the, the sad answer is that if any of us have walked with Christ for any length of time, the reality is, as we can probably think of people, um, that, that there, there are people who come into our minds that exactly fit that description, that at one time seemed zealous for the Lord, and, and now now appear to have fallen away from him and so if we if we too neglect mortification uh, none of us are, none of us are beyond that we must by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body that will live lastly reason number six is mortification is our duty as servants of christ as we pursue holiness and owen he is uh so owen is not um as you may have found out now um, already of the, already over the course of this book um, he is not known for his pithy one-liners um, like some like so many other Puritans are um, like Thomas Watson or Thomas Brooks right both of those guys are just known for their for their little one-liners um, those memorable one-liners but Owen's got a great one um, on pages 34 and 35 where he says let not that man think he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the neck of his lusts and that's memorable because it's a vivid vivid image right that we must walk on the neck of our sin if we think that if we if we are to actually pursue holiness right and if we're not doing that if we're not actively killing our sins then then we're tricking ourselves into thinking that we're pursuing holiness we're lulling ourselves into a false sense of security because if we have the spirit living within us then we will be putting to death the deeds of the body, right? Finally, Owen closes out the chapter um, by acknowledging that even though there was an abundance of religiousness in his own day, and a religiousness that was marked by solid preaching, by, by, by preaching that was not lighthearted, um, but by, by, by preaching that was that was that was firmly rooted in God and was presenting the glorious truths of of, uh, of of Scripture and of Christ. And yet, even though there was that noisiness of religion, he laments how few seem to actually mortify their sin. And he powerfully notes this on page 36, and this is a, a longer quotation, but it is worth reading in its entirety. If vain spending of time, and as I read this, uh, let us let us think of how of if this was true in Owen's day, right? When um, when when people were given over to um, uh, to 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 at least to at least try to practice a zealousness for religion, right? How much more is this true of today in our own day in the twenty first century? So, if vain spending of time, idleness, unprofitableness in men's places, 
envy, strife, variance, emulations, wrath, pride, worldliness, selfishness, be badges of Christians. We have them on us and amongst us in abundance. And if it be so with them, who have so much light, in which we hope is saving, what shall we say of some who would be accounted religious and yet despise gospel light? And as for the duty we have in hand, know no more of it than what consists in men's denying themselves sometimes in outward enjoyments, which is one of the outmost branches of it, in which they, in which yet they will seldom practice, right? So, so if we have Christians, right, who hopefully have saving grace, right, who have the saving light of the gospel, who, who still practice idleness and, and, and vain spending of time and who wear wrath and pride and worldliness and selfishness as badges, right, for the rest of the world who still want to call themselves religious and yet don't, yet do despise the gospel light, how much less hope is there for them, right? And he presents two great evils. So these people that he is warning against, these people that he is calling us not to be counted among their number, he calls unmortified professors, right? And here he's not talking about professors as, as teachers, right? But instead, uh, by unmortified professors, he means those who profess to be Christians and yet do not mortify their sin. So they profess to be Christians, but they're not living like Christians because a Christian will mortify their sin. He says there's two great evils uh, that come from such unmortified professors. First, they do evil to themselves by numbing their conscience to sin all the way into damnation. They sin without guilt and use the grace of Christ as an excuse to continue on sinning. On page 36, he has a quote that all of us should take to heart. When a man hath fixed his imagination to such an apprehension of grace and mercy as to be able, as to be able without bitterness to swallow and digest daily sins, that man is at the very brink of turning the grace of God into lavishness. Lavishness and being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Neither is there a greater evidence in the world of a false and rotten heart than to drive such a trade. To use for the countenancing of sin the blood of Christ, which is given to cleanse us, the exaltation of Christ, which is to give us repentance, the doctrine of grace, which teaches us to deny all ungodliness, is a rebellion that in the issue, will break the bones. So they do evil to themselves. Unmortified professors do evil to themselves by numbing their conscience to sin all the way into their damnation. But second, they also do evil to others, as Owen points out, through de deception. So because they look religious, Others are drawn to compare themselves to them using their ungodly conduct, and that's ultimately what it is, as a standard for how the Christian life should be. Or as he says, they talk spiritually, but they live vainly. And by their conduct, they encourage others to follow after them and lead, and not only lead themselves into destruction, 
but they deceive others and lead others into destruction as well. And so, hopefully this chapter would stir us up to be a people who would make it a daily practice to mortify our sins, um, to make it a constant habit in our lives, to kill the sins within us, lest we be killed by them. And it doesn't matter how far along we are in our Christian journey. It doesn't matter if we're the greatest of Christians, how far we've come in our, in our, in our, um, in our walk of mortifying sin. There's always a sin that needs to be mortified. There's always sin that needs to be killed. And so uh, let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary in killing the sin that dwells within us. Because after all, he's given us the spirit. He's given us uh, the, new, the new nature in Christ that wars against the, the, the indwelling sin that still is within us. And so let us by the grace of Christ put to death the deeds of the body that in Christ we may also live grace and peace.